How are you doing, Restore Church? Good. It is an honor to be here with you guys this morning. Can we give God a hand clap this morning? Come on. And I just want to say that uh, your pastor has an incredible, a great, a great haircut. Would you not agree? I'm just saying that's my brother from another mother. That's all I'm saying. It's a good looking guy. That's all I'm saying. I saw him today. I said, man, that's a great haircut. And I think, Pastor, the first four guys I met when I walked in had the same haircut, man. I'm like, I'm like, now this is my type of place right here. This is, this is my type of place. And for the rest of you guys who want to join us, hey, come on over, man. Come on over. I bring you greetings from the city of Saginaw, uh, where my wife and my children, we live there. We reside there, born and raised in the city of Saginaw myself. Um, there in the city of Saginaw, we run a ministry called Power of Dad. We work with fathers and fatherless young men, ages 11 through 18. We teach them 22 lessons, life skills, that their fathers were not there to teach them over a five-month period. And our whole mission back in the city of Saginaw, the mission of our ministry is fighting fatherlessness and improving father-children relationships. So that's what we do back at home. And uh, I have a beautiful wife. We've been together since our senior year in high school. You can clap for that, yeah? 23, th 23 years of marriage. 23 years of marriage. My first two children, uh, Brianna's 14, second is 11, uh, Destiny, she's 11 years old. And I told my wife, I said, do you see these two beautiful girls? I said, look at them. I said, we created that. We should have more children. Look at these beautiful kids. And my wife told me, she says, we can have more kids when you can have the kids. And she didn't just say it like that. She did this. We can have more kids when you can have the kids. I said, oh, you want to shake your head, huh? You want to shake your head? I said, since you want to shake your head, I said, don't make me pray. She says, I don't care what you do. I said, okay. I went and prayed. And a few months later, my wife's like, you prayed, did you? I said, yeah. Found out she was pregnant with twins. There you go. Don't be shaking your head. Don't be shaking your head at me. I will pray and change your life. And I just want to let the people in the audience know that what I have is contagious. People are having twins all over the place now. So, hey, Pastor, there you go, buddy. <laughs> there you go. It is my honor to be here with you guys today. I know God's going to do something absolutely awesome. Been in prayer for this time for quite some time now. And uh, I believe God wants to set some people free today. Uh, wants to deliver some people today. Wants to bring some people into his loving arms today. Into the joy of Jesus today. And so we're going to dive into God's word. Uh, let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now in the name of Jesus Christ. We thank you. We love you. We give you honor, glory, and praise in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I want you to go with me, if you would, to the book of Samuel, chapter 4, verse 4. And in this passage of Scripture is the story of a young man that has a very strange name, but a very important destiny, shall I say. And I've come this morning to talk to some people who are in a very similar situation. 
People who, for the most part, might not know it, might not realize it, but that God has called you to an incredible destiny. The passage of Scripture simply reads this, and it's a very short passage, but it talks about a young man by the name of Mephibosheth whose city and family came under attack. And while the people in his city were being killed and his family was being killed, here's where the Scripture lands, and it tells us this. It says, Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul, who was his grandfather, and Jonathan, who was his father, came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up, and she fled. But as she hurried to leave, he fell, and he became crippled. His name was Mephibosheth. I've come this morning looking for some Mephibosheths. Mephibosheth is unlike any other person in Scripture, and I've got to tell you this, I too am a Mephibosheth. He's unlike any other person in Scripture. He's not like the, the woman with the issue of blood who's pushing through the crowd trying to reach the hem of Jesus. He's not trying to get to Jesus. He's not like a blind Bartimaeus who, who can hear Jesus but can't see him, but he hears him coming down the road and he starts screaming, Son of David, have mercy on me. That's not him. As a matter of fact, Mephibosheth's story is a lot different. Mephibosheth is the son of a king. And he's the grandson of a king. And yet, he doesn't want anyone to know that is royalty. Some of you who are here this morning, you are sons and daughters of a king. His name is Jesus. And you've been running and you've been hiding for many different reasons because life happens. And when life happens, for many reasons, we hide on the inside, we disappear. Now, I've got to pinpoint this to you because Mephibosheth's life is going to change and it's going to change for one reason and one reason only. It's going to change because he is introduced to the king. I've come this morning, I only get your hands ready, get your hands ready. Come on, get your, just get them ready like this. Just get them ready. I come this morning, I only to introduce you to the king. Come on, come on. You must know the king. If you know the king, you will know what your destiny is. I found this out. That outside of him, I did not know who I was. Outside of, outside of Jesus, did not know who I was. Could not find Brian Pruitt. Mephibosheth's name has a very important meaning. It's, it's pretty cool. His name simply means this. The destroyer of shame. I read that, I said, oh, God, yes! <laughs> Excuse me, I love what I do, okay? And it shows sometimes too much. And my wife's not here to control me up here, okay? I get a little wild up here. Oh, man, that's powerful. His name means the destroyer of shame. Now, you got to understand the power of this. Well, I, I got to hit the rewind button so you can remember this. Remember, <laughs> remember, 
he was dropped. Remember, he was lame. And yet God would look at this broken person and say, you are the destroyer of shame. That makes no sense. In his society, people would not have looked at him as the destroyer of anything. In his society, they would have looked at him and said, he's disabled, he might be, he's going to be okay, but you know, we're going to have to help him out in life. And God says, no, he's the destroyer of shame. And notice that God named him before the world ever broke him. I've come to tell you something. God named you before the world broke you. You tell this world you're too late. Greatness is already on my life. It's already on my life. You said, Brian, you don't know what happened to me. I say, too late. God named you before the world broke you. Before the, before the nurse ever dropped him, before he ever became lame in both legs, God had already said, your name shall be Mephibosheth. You are the destroyer of shame. Some of you like Mephibosheth, some of you like myself, who, who for the most part, you are either building the legacy or destroying a legacy that was left that was not of God in your life. We're either builders or destroyers. For me, it was destroying what was left and beginning to rebuild. For others of you, you come from a great legacy and it is your job to continue to build that great legacy. My call on my life for my family was to restore. It was to restore. Mephibosheth, scripture tells us that his nurse, she had him and she dropped him. She was trying to help him and she dropped him. I don't know about you, but I know what it feels like to be dropped in life. And sometimes it's people who intentionally drop you and leave you lame and maimed emotionally. And sometimes it's people who never intended to do it. And sometimes it's people who intended to do it. But whatever the case, they've left you broken. You don't, something's broken on the inside. You don't, you don't work like you used to work. You don't think the way you used to think. Something happened and when they dropped you, they broke you. I've been dropped before. I've been broken before. There's a Mephibosheth in every single one of us in this room. 1995, I was playing for the greatest college on the face of the earth. I don't need to say that to you or what name it because you know what it is. Of course, at Central Michigan University, you know this. You know this. See a couple of people in some U of M stuff back here. I'm getting a little upset. See you after service. Yeah, All right. my wife, I saved my wife from those people. That's it. Playing at Central Michigan University was one of the greatest honors of my life. Played for great coaches and played with some great men who put me in a, a situation to do some great things. I became an All-American my senior year in college, Central's, Central Michigan's first AP first team All-American running back. I became the second leading rusher in the country. I battled it out with the Heisman Trophy winner my senior year in college who happened to be Rashawn Salam uh, from the University of Colorado who uh, a year ago uh, ended up taking his life. We battled it out. And then I did what all Americans do. 
I entered into the NFL draft, expected to be drafted in the second round by the Miami Dolphins. My childhood dream was about to become true. I remember draft day. My family was at the house. My uncle was cooking the barbecue. The music was going. We were jamming. It was a party. The local media showed up. They wanted to see the hometown kid go big. The draft started. We were waiting for the phone to ring. The draft ended. And then the phone rang. I answered the phone, and it was my agent. He says, Mr. Pruitt, he says, we got a problem. I said, yeah, I would say so. Draft's over. What's the problem? He says, when you were at the NFL Combines, they found out that the way your spinal cord was made makes you more susceptible to being paralyzed when playing football at this level. He said, I'm sorry, all the teams have backed off of you. The world dropped me. And when they dropped me, in some ways I feel I became lame. I said, God, I don't understand this. I remember turning to my mother, turning to my family, and, and to tell them what had happened. And as I began to tell them, the local media began to flash their cameras. And the next morning, I woke up in my local newspaper. There I was on the front cover of the local newspaper, my face in total disappointment. And it says, local kid doesn't make it. The only thing I had going for me, Pastor, is I knew the king. My favorite chef's got to know the king. It's the only way your life gets changed. I found myself on a plane two weeks later headed out to the Atlanta Falcons. I became property of the Falcons. Still to this day, I'm property of the Atlanta Falcons. Stayed with them for a very short period of time and then they eventually released me due to the same thing as a free agent saying, Mr. Prue, we too have discovered you have issues with your spinal cord. Go home. I was on a plane flying back home to Michigan going, God, what are you doing? And here's what God said to me. Some of you may or may not understand this, but I got to tell you because God's speaking to somebody. God said, Brian, you remember all those times you were on your knees and you said to me, God, take my life and use me? I said, yeah, I remember that. You remember when you would sing those worship songs and say, God, I'm yours, take me, ah, la, 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 la. Yeah, I remember that. What's that got to do with this? He says, I'm only doing what you asked me to do. You asked me to take your life and use it. And now you get mad because you find out that I answer prayer. Do you want me to take your life and use it? Or do you want to use your life to do what you want to do? He says, I'll tell you what. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to give you hope. Plans to give you a future. Follow me. And I remember on that plane that day, I said, God, this hurts, but I will submit to your will. I want to see what it is you have in store for my life. For the next three years, I kept trying out for teams. 
And every time I would try for a team, I would show up. They would say, hey, Pruitt, how you doing? You want to step out of line? I'm like, no, I don't. I don't want to step out of line. <laughs> you step out of line. Yeah, you step right here and then step right back out. They knew my name. They knew my problem. And there was no getting in. God just kept saying, follow me. Follow me. I'm here to tell you I know what it feels like to be dropped. In 24 hours, I went from being a possible multimillionaire to sitting at a bank as a teller. And I was sitting there going, what in the world just happened? And God kept saying, follow me. Follow me. I know the plans I have for you. I was a little lame. I was a little broken. But I kept following God. That's what's important. See, when this world breaks you and things happen in this life, here's when we get in trouble, when we get lame, when we get broken and we stop following. We become bitter. We become angry. We begin to judge God. We begin to stand as God and say, how dare you? How dare you decide what my destiny is as if you're God or somebody? As if you created me. Who do you think you are? Follow me. Follow me. Mephibosheth, I understand him and I understand the story because I know what it feels like to be dropped. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been dropped? You ever been broken? My son, he's five. He loves football. And he'll tell you right now that when we play, we play tough. One day I tackle him. I'm running. I pick him up in my arms. I'm running towards from the living room to the laundry room, which means I'm leaving carpet and stepping on linoleum. And this is not good because I got socks on. The bottom part of me is going right. The top part of me is going left. We're headed towards the dryer. I said, no, not the dryer. Maybe the washer, but not the dryer. Because when you put two things in the dryer, you get one thing out of the dryer. And I'm thinking, how am I going to explain to my wife where our son went? Because I'm coming out of that dryer. Don't judge me, okay? But realizing he could have been hurt, somehow I got in contact with the, 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 the past athlete in me, and I landed on my feet. And he grabbed his football, and he took off running away. And I said, honey, ice pack for the back, please. My whole point was this. He was in danger. I'm his father, and I couldn't drop him. I got news for you. He's your father, and he won't drop you. Come on, he won't drop you. They find Mephibosheth in a place called Lodabar. Theologians say that for 14 years he disappeared in this place. Lodabar is a place, and it simply means this, a place of, of no pasture. 
Now that's interesting because God says he leads us to green pastures. It means the place of no communication. You ever been wounded so greatly in life that you don't even know how to say what it feels like? I meet people and students in schools all the time where I walk up to them and there are scars on their arms because they have been cutting themselves because the pain on the inside is so great the only way they know how to communicate it is to inflict pain on themselves on the outside. They've lost communication. The place of no words. You ever been that wounded before? I don't know how to communicate what's happened to me. I don't know how to tell you. I don't know where to start. And women in the room, let me tell you something about your husband. When a man gets to this place, he's got danger written all over him because he don't know how to say help. Help. And you don't even know he's that wounded. This is where my family lived. They lived in Lodabar. As I stand here today, I come from four generations of physical abuse and murder. Statistics say that my wife of 23 years ought to be terrified of me when I pull up in my driveway. Statistics say that my wife, my children ought to be intimidated by me. I come from a mess. My great-grandfather's name was Blue, and sorry to say he was referred to as Blue because he would beat his wife until she would turn black and blue. He would beat her till she would fall to the floor in convulsions, and after beating her, he would begin to beat his children. One of his children was my grandfather, David. My grandfather, David, made a promise to himself. He said, when I grow up, I'll never be like that man. In other words, when I grow up, I'm going to be a better man than him. I'm going to make better choices than him. But my grandfather, David, grew up. He didn't, he didn't make better choices. He met a beautiful woman by the name of Rose who would become my grandmother. And instead of loving her like the beautiful rose that she was, he began to beat her as well. And he would beat her till she would fall to the floor in convulsions. And after he would be done beating her, he would begin to beat his children. My grandmother got smart. She took my father, his brothers and sisters. She escaped the situation by moving to the city of Detroit. And just when it looked like life was getting good, my grandfather made a horrible choice. He decided he would hunt his family down like dogs. And the day he found him, he showed up with a shotgun. My father took his little brothers and sisters and they hid in the bathroom that day. And he clutched their mouths because he was afraid if they made one peep, one sound, one murmur, that the man that they should have been able to call dad, the man they should have been able to call their hero, just might come to that bathroom and take the life of his own children. And on the other side of the bathroom door, they heard a sound that would change my family's life forever. Some of you who are here today, you have sounds that have changed your life forever. Some of them were positive sounds. Some of them were negative sounds. You say, Brian, you don't know the things I've heard. It changed your life when mom and dad said, hey, we're not going to make it. The family's got to, we're separating. It changed your life a little bit. You remember the sound of it. It changed your life when they said somebody told you you were dumb, you were stupid, you don't have the talent, you're too tall, too short, too skinny, wrong height, wrong color, wrong gender. It changed your life a little bit. The sound my family will never forget is the sound of a gun going off 
the sound of my grandmother's body hitting the floor, the sound of my grandfather walking out of the house. My father's brothers and sisters came out of the bathroom that day to find their mother deceased. And as they began to clean the mess up, my father made a promise to himself. He said, when I grow up, I'll never be like that man. Similar promise. In other words, when I grow up, I'm going to make better choices than him. Then my father grew up, met a beautiful woman. He met my mom, and he didn't keep his promise. Drug addict, alcoholic, bipolar, schizophrenic. It's enough to start a hurricane. And he walked in the steps of the men before him. And my mom helped us all escape a very tough situation. But here's what you need to know and understand. Just because the world dropped you doesn't mean that God doesn't have a plan for you. Just because some bad things have happened doesn't mean that God doesn't have a plan for you. Mephibosheth's life begins to turn around. King David begins to search out the relatives of his buddy Jonathan and they begin to search for him and they find him in Lodabar. The king was calling for Mephibosheth. Young man, young lady, I've come to tell you that the king is calling for you today. He brought a short little stubby bald African American man from Saginaw <laughs> to tell you that the king is calling for you today. He wants you. He loves you. He has a plan and a destiny for your life. I didn't believe that for me either until I was on the verge of suicide at 18 years old, one of the top recruits in the state of Michigan for football. And I was headed home to take my life, attending Arthur Hill High School in Saginaw, headed home to take my life when a young man met me at the back door of my high school. And I looked at him and he said, I said, can you give me a ride home? And he got the biggest smile on his face. He said, yeah, I'll give you a ride home. And all the way home that day, he told me about Jesus. Had no idea I was headed home to take my life. I was tired of the fight. I was afraid of my future. I said, if I come from four generations of monsters, it only makes sense I'm going to grow up and be a monster. But God had a different plan for Mephibosheth. The king was calling. The king is calling you. He's calling you. You have value. And this is what it would have looked like because the first thing you need from the king is you need an invitation. The question is, is what will you do with that invitation? That leads us to the second point. What's most imp more important than an invitation is your response. Here's a question. How will you respond to the invitation that the king is granting to you today? Mephibosheth almost missed this moment when the king came calling. He thought that King David wanted to kill him, but he didn't. He wanted to set him free. And here's what happened. King David brings Mephibosheth to his castle. 
And King David looks at Mephibosheth, and Mephibosheth says, King, I'm just a, I'm, I'm nobody. I'm broken, man. You know, I'm not a threat to your kingdom at all. I'm just dirt. I'm, I'm, I'm worthless. And David says, shh. David says, shh. Don't you know who you are? I knew your father. You're the son of a king. I've come to ask you, don't you know who you are? You are sons and daughters of the king. You are not lowly. You are not trash. You are not throwaways. You are not a mistake. You are not the unforgiven. You are the forgiven. And here's what he did. Worship team, if you'd come. Here's what David did. David had a table that he invited Mephibosheth to. See, David had sons. Come here. This is my son. Come sit at my table. Sit right here at my table. Come on, brother. David had sons. Come sit right here at my table. These are my boys. These are my sons. They belong to me. They're mine. And everything that I have is theirs. But imagine Mephibosheth coming to this same table. And here's what King David would have done. Young man, can you help me out for a second? Yeah, you. Come here, buddy. Remember, Mephibosheth would not have been able to walk. And David would have had to say, pick him up and bring him here. He's not a throwaway. He's not forgotten. I know his father. His father was a king. His father was a great man. And David would have brought him. And David... would have sat him at the table with his own sons. This is what scripture says he did. He told Mephibosheth, you will sit at the table with my sons. You will eat here all the days of your life. And here's what you need to know what, about this table. When he's sitting at the table with my sons, you don't see his brokenness. It's hidden underneath the table. If he didn't tell you his story, you wouldn't know that he was broken. And I'm telling you this, if I didn't tell you my story, you might not know just how broken I am. Because when I was 18, the king invited me to sit at his table. I'm telling you there's a place for your brokenness. God didn't throw him away because he was broken. God invited him to the table because he was broken. He's not throwing you away. 